Hello, this is Tony Campolo and Shane Claiborne. Uh, the name of this show is From Across the Pond, so-called because we put the show together at Eastern University and Cabrini University. Eastern is an evangelical school. Uh, Cabrini is a Catholic school. These two universities try to proclaim a Christ that transcends religious barriers and calls people to be obedient to the teachings of Jesus. We promote red-letter Christianity because we say that some of the old Bibles had the words of Jesus highlighted with red letters. And we think it's important for us to go to those red letters. Uh, Some of us, in fact, uh, are really reluctant to call ourselves evangelicals these days. We We believe in the Apostles' Creed. We take the Scriptures seriously. We talk about having a personal relationship with the resurrected Jesus who wants to invade our lives, permeate our being, transform us from within. But having said all of that, we're not sure we want to call ourselves evangelicals in a day and in an age when evangelicalism seems too married to Donald Trump and the Republican Party. We believe in uh, the Jesus and the red letters. Uh, Jesus who transcends the uh, Democratic-Republican divide here in the United States or the conservative versus the Labor Party in the United Kingdom. We think that Jesus stands above all political parties and calls Republicans and Democrats, conservatives and Labor Party people into obedience to himself. We are his disciples if we do get this, not what the party says, but whatsoever Jesus says. Mm. So we have a guest we had on before. We do. It was so much fun. We're going to have him back. Uh, it's Our guest this week is Reverend Rob Shank. He's a great friend. Uh, he's written a recent book, Costly Grace, an evangelical minister's rediscovery of faith, hope, and love. He's also the subject of a film called Armor of Light. And it's an amazing film, Tony. I don't know if you've I seen it, but seen together with his friend, our friend, uh, Lucia McBath, she's now okay. a congresswoman um, and the mother of a, a victim of, of gun violence, her, her son, Jordan Davis. But the film Armor of Light is an amazing film that gets underneath our culture of gun violence um, in, in America, but also around the, the kind of fusion of God and guns. And um, when I was with Rob, who we're going to hear from in just a minute, he gave me a Bible case that is actually uh, on the front. It has a cross. And then you open this leather Bible case and inside there's a gun. It's literally designed. It's a, it's a gun case for a gun in a magazine. And it's disguised as a Bible case. And he said it's one of the, the best selling Bible covers in America right now. So it, it shows you how our gun problem is also a spiritual problem. It's a crisis of faith. And so um, this is a great brother. I, I'm, I'm excited to have him back. Uh, welcome, buddy. This is Reverend Rob Shank with us this week. Uh, Rob, thank you. You, you thank serve you as a kind of uh, spiritual spokesperson, one of many, but a key one on Capitol Hill here in the United States, here in Washington, D.C., here in our capital. Uh, you uh, talk to people who uh, wield tremendous political power. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about how you see your role on Capitol Hill, uh, your role in Washington, D.C., rubbing shoulders with political leaders? Well, I hope a couple of things, and uh, some of them I take as uh, my cue from you 
Tony. Uh, you did this uh, long before I did, and uh, while I know you're a humble man and you say you didn't do it perfectly, I most certainly haven't done it perfectly. And But still, uh, even though I was on the conservative side of the divide for too many years, uh, I admired you from afar, and I would study you and, and the kind of work you did uh, in Washington, uh, principally with uh, presidents. And I took that as a model, uh, and I spent a lot of my time with the leaders in our legislative branch, the Congress. Uh, but uh, then for a period of uh, over about 10 years, uh, I spent time with our Supreme Court justices. And, mm. you know, when you're in those environments, uh, it's a constant tension uh, it was for me a constant tension in my own soul. Uh, you know, the question always existed, you know, who, who, uh, who is my, the focus of my principal loyalty? Because there, there is a very powerful gravitational pull when you're in those environments that takes you from the transcendent that you just spoke so eloquently of from the transcendent to the temporal, from the heavenly to the earthly. Mm. It's easier to serve earthly lords than it is to serve our heavenly lord. There is far less demanded of us by earthly potentates than by the Almighty, the governor of the universe. He calls us to the highest uh, levels of fidelity and sacrifice and, mm. and in many ways self-abnegation getting outside of ourselves and so i would always hoped that i would um, be a kind of reminder of that to those who were saturated uh, in this earthly uh, power environment you know this uh, political uh, juggernaut uh, and maybe give them a moment to pause, mm. to think differently, to be critical of themselves, of what they were doing. And and I've tried uh, to this moment to simply be uh, a voice of conscience, mm. uh, to give them pause, a Good. moment to reflect on what is right and wrong, not mm-hmm. what is politically expedient. And sometimes I see fruit to that. Often I do not. And it feels like sometimes uh, that tension between being a chaplain and being a prophet of resistance uh, are hard to hold together. Um, in, in a lot of ways, there are so many uh, pastoral chaplain folks in D.C. that have forfeited their moral authority for the sake of politics. You know, some would say just as Judas uh, uh, sold Jesus out for a few pieces of silver. There's a lot of evangelicals that have sold Jesus out for two seats on the Supreme Court. Um, and I, I wonder, as you look at the state of our, our, particularly not just our country, but of, of, of the evangelicalism in the United States, um, uh, boy, people are really turned off by that because they see the contradictions of uh, trying to defend Donald Trump at all costs and and how how often that betrays Jesus and some of our core values. So how are you navigating this particular season? Well, that's a really 
delicate dance uh, because the opposite temptation is, of course, to abandon uh, to abandon the political sphere, uh, to give up on politics entirely, and to uh, walk away from it. Well, politics is a part of uh, human culture. It's the way we organize ourselves. It's the way we uh, structure and manage our our social compacts and our social obligations. So mm. I think it's a terribly important sphere uh, for Christians and for the message of Jesus to be introduced into and to be present in. Uh, you know, the, the challenge is, of course, never to put Jesus or the words of Jesus or the image of Jesus at the service of the political. Exactly. When Jesus said, go into all the world and bring my gospel, uh, go into all the world, uh, obviously the political sphere is part of the world that Jesus calls us to invade and to uh, give testimony as to his message, a radical message, which comes uh, sometimes to comfort, but in most cases comes to call us to accountability and into judgment. Now, there's a, um, a Netflix series uh, on television here in the United States, and I know now it's all over Canada and all it's getting over the United States. Netflix. United Kingdom. Yeah. United Kingdom. Uh, excuse me. Did I say United yeah, yeah, States? No. Oh, man, I screw up all the time. <laughs> uh, and uh, it's a condemnation in many respects of a, of a movement there in Washington called the family. It's actually uh, called uh, by the people who are in it, uh, not the family, uh, but uh, basically they call themselves the fellowship. Uh, headed up by a, it was headed up by a guy who was uh, really a very, very wonderful man from my perspective, Doug Coe. Uh, he's dead now. He's been dead for a while. Uh, they treat him in this series on the videos as though he's still alive. He's not alive. He's gone. And I have to say, I have some problems with the fellowship now that he is gone, because as long as he was in charge, he made sure that the speakers at the National Prayer Breakfast and at the other organizations with which uh, he had connections uh, stayed off of partisan politics. But uh, a few— You should tell that story. I, I should confess that I haven't watched this whole series, uh, the the family series, but I'm—, I'm uh, but you, you have a story about this personally, Tony, where— um, because one of the accusations is that, that they were backing dictators in Uganda and other places that were not just uh, anti-gay, but they were actually wanting to kill, you know, uh, um, execute folks that were um, uh, lesbian or bisexual, transgender folks in their countries. But you, um, you had a story that kind of yeah. gave a different perspective on that. You may, you may have this story, but uh, Rob, uh, at one point, the president of Uganda, uh, who would come every year to the National Prayer Breakfast in Washington, D.C., which brought together the president, the Supreme Court, uh, members of Congress, uh, members of, uh, of local politicians, mayors, uh, movers and shakers from all over the country, yea, all over the world, heads of state from at least 50 to 60 different countries would show up at the National Prayer Breakfast to rub shoulders with the president of the United States. And uh, uh, at one point, the president of Uganda 
uh, had legislation passed that not only criminalized homosexual behavior, but if you were guilty of a homosexual act, you would be caught you and put to death, a death penalty for committing a homosexual act. And if you knew of somebody who had committed a homosexual act and did not turn that person in, uh, you could be incarcerated. And, this, and many of these legislators and leaders were claimed to be Christians as they're doing Claimed that, to be Christians right? yeah. and would show up at the National Prayer Breakfast. So uh, the, uh, uh, this series on Netflix points this out and says these people attended the National Prayer Breakfast in Washington, D.C., led by Doug Coe. Well, let's stop for just a moment. When the president of Uganda did that, he was immediately disinvited to the prayer breakfast. And uh, Doug Coe stepped forward and said, we've got to stand against this kind of condemnation of gay people, uh, humiliating of gay people. So he uh, changed the speakers the last minute for the national prayer breakfast. Uh, Instead of having the person who was originally scheduled He asked Hillary Clinton to be the speaker and then gave instructions to Hillary Clinton uh, to specifically speak out against what was going on in Uganda and say that as Christians who take Jesus seriously, who take the words of Jesus that are highlighted in red letters in many Bibles, uh, to, to be opposed to this kind of treatment to our gay and lesbian brothers and sisters. And she did that. She was the speaker. In addition to the prayer breakfast, there's also a uh, dinner in the evening, uh, which has as large a crowd as attends the prayer breakfast, packed from one end to the other of the uh, ballroom at the uh, Hilton in Washington. And I was asked to be the speaker at that gathering, knowing that I had a strong heart for gay and lesbian and transgendered and bisexual and cute people. And so I was invited to speak in the evening, and I spoke and brought up this very issue a second time. So the uh, this may not have made the the Netflix series. (laughs) It did not make the Netflix series. As a matter of fact, what is communicated in the Netflix series is the opposite: that somehow the fellowship that puts on the National Prayer Breakfast and puts on prayer breakfast in many countries of the world, including the United Kingdom, New Zealand, Australia, many of the countries of the world have spinoffs from the National Prayer Breakfast so that nations around the world have prayer breakfasts that bring together the heads of states and the parliamentarians. And, and the fact is that the fellowship stood diametrically opposed to the things that were going on in Uganda and the putting down of gays and lesbians. So, Rob, we've, we've got uh, Reverend Rob Shank with us, who's, uh, uh, among other things, is a real pastoral figure in Washington, D.C., in Capitol Hill, um, you've had some inter- interactions with the fellowship, and I don't know if you've seen this Netflix series, but I wonder if you have thoughts on that, because you understand really well the the complexities of power and uh, trying to be a Christian um, as, as a, uh, you know, kind of in the royal courts, but not drink the Kool- king's Kool-Aid kind of thing. So you got thoughts on all this, man? Yeah, well, first of all, I loved young Tony tell that story. Yeah. Because I knew parts of it, but I had never known the whole of it. And to hear well, the way you narrated that mm. is very important and, and very powerful. Yeah. And yes, uh, I, knew, uh, I, I know the fellowship very well. I've been part of many of their events. I knew Doug Coe personally. And 
I also know Jeff Charlotte, uh, the the narrator and uh, uh, of the series. I did watch it. The family. Uh, I would encourage others to watch it. I think people should watch it, but uh, with an understanding that this is one man's interpretation and viewpoint. And I spent two days with Jeff Charlotte, uh, who, if you've seen the series or when you watch it, you'll see him sitting in a chair narrating you through this kind of uh, dramatic documentary style. Uh, it's really a documentary drama or drama, dramatic documentary, I'm not sure, but it's a hybrid of the two. You see actors, but you also see uh, actual footage and interviews with uh, real players in, in the story. And uh, Jeff came to see me while uh, he was writing the book on which the series is based, and we talked a lot, and I got to know him as a person. And I, I do think that the series is very badly by his own personal experience uh, in living with the people of the fellowship or the family. And uh, I think there were genuine moments when he was mistreated, when he was disrespected, when he was deliberately humiliated. I saw that side of the fellowship's culture, Mm. and it troubled me deeply. Uh, and there was also this element of secrecy, and I understand it. I talked at length with Doug Coe, uh, you know, the, the person really behind that uh, retiring kind of invisible uh, philosophy that the fellowship had. But when you are dealing with people who have the coercive power of the state mm-hmm. at their command— there is a level of public scrutiny and accountability that must attend to that. I, I'm convinced of it, that there's right. a, a kind of sunshine uh, that becomes a, um, uh, what's the word, a sanitizing agent mm. uh, for an organization that acquires uh, such a large number of very powerful, very influential people. The only way to really keep them accountable is to keep them exposed to the public. And they didn't do that well. In fact, they really did the opposite of that. And I think it got the fellowship into a lot of trouble. It led to a lot of suspicion about their motives and intentions and actions. My encounters were mostly benign to benevolent and positive, but there was another side to it that could be uh, injurious and harmful and and potentially even dangerous on a grand scale, on a global scale. So I I don't think they met that challenge well. Uh, I gently challenged Doug Coe on it personally myself. he didn't receive my criticism very well, and it led to a kind of alienation from him. But all that to say, it is not nearly as nefarious as it is cast to be. And I think, as you pointed out, Tony, uh, Jeff Charlotte missed much of the good that the fellowship has done, and they have done a lot of good, particularly for poor and marginalized people, and it just gets no credit in the series. The thing that I would uh, quickly uh, point out 
is that uh, having talked to Doug, as you have, you know that his primary thing was not to convert people to Christianity, but to communicate the teachings of Jesus. And he would deal with Muslims who make Jesus part of the Koran, uh, deal with Jews who look at Jesus as a great rabbi. Let's talk about Jesus and a big emphasis on Jesus, 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 over and over again. And uh, I like that. And uh, he, uh, he would run into conflict with people who wanted to make the thing too evangelistic. So, uh, you know, hooray for Doug in that respect and caution about the fellowship in terms of what you said, its secrecy. Uh, you need to be open. You need to let people know who you are and what you are and what you're about. Uh, the fellowship in, in uh, Washington has this national prayer breakfast, but it has spun off uh, prayer breakfasts in places like Japan, New Zealand, Australia, all over the place. But the big emphasis is let's look at what Jesus had to say. Let's look at the teachings of Jesus. Specifically, let's pay attention to the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it's been subverted. Uh, I thought it got terribly subverted when Ben uh, Carson, uh, the man who is now in charge of our programs to, for housing and urban development here in the United States, part of President uh, Trump's cabinet, uh, when he, in fact, uh, took the opportunity at a national prayer breakfast to tear up uh, President Obama and the Obamacare and this program that would bring medical care to the poor with a government program. Uh, whether you're for that or against that is secondary to the matter. When you make the thing uh, politically partisan, I think you've crossed the line. Mm. And at that prayer breakfast, it did become partisan. And now is viewed to a large degree as an agency of the Republican Party. Yeah, and I have to say, um, I know Dr. Carson. Uh, I've been with him on a number of occasions personally. He was a very different man when he was a surgeon taking care of uh, many children in disastrous uh, health situations. Uh, you know, he was a neurosurgeon. And he did so much good, and 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 he was, uh, and still is, uh, the founder of a foundation that does an enormous amount of good, granting educational scholarships to children from very disadvantaged and difficult, marginalized uh, communities. This is the best part of Ben Carson. I think he could be a case in point where you give in to the seductive forces of politics and it does a lot of damage to one's soul, to one's conscience, to one's life. Believe me, I know it personally. I suffered it myself and As I'm I still have. recovering from it. So I, I try now to bring my own personal experience in a way that might assist some of these people to find their way back to the Jesus uh, they first knew and served in such beautiful and compassionate ways. Jesus is neither a Democrat nor a Republican. Jesus is not a member of the Conservative Party or the Labor Party. Mm. He calls upon us to look at where we are, to look at our politics in light of what he has taught us in these red letters of the Bible. 
Somebody we, referred to uh, Red Letter Christians as anti-Trump evangelicals, and I said, no, we're, we're pro-Jesus. It's just that so right. much that Trump does in his tweets and his policy betray Jesus. And we look at the, uh, you know, the seven deadly sins, and so much of our administration looks more like them than the fruits of the Spirit. But this isn't a, a matter of left and, and right. It's a matter of right and wrong. And you could say the same for the re- Democratic Party, uh, the same th- Judgment has to be exercised. We're just about out of time. It goes quickly. Uh, I want to uh, say that we've had a great time with our guests. Yeah, uh, you can see more about uh, Reverend Rob Shank, who's been our guest. Uh, uh, he's the president of the Dietrich Bonhoeffer Institute. He's a dear friend, incredible uh, brother. Uh, make sure you read his book, Costly Grace, an evangelical minister's rediscovery of faith, hope, and love. You got a closing benediction for us, brother? Well, uh, yeah, and let me just uh, let me just uh, introduce it by reminding everyone that Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor in London to two churches, two German-speaking congregations in London, and that was a very, very important part of his life. So, yes, he was a youth uh, pastor in Harlem here in the United States. Yes, he was. He taught uh, he taught Sunday school at Abyssinian Baptist Church. That, of course, would lead to his decision to go back. So May to Germany and suffer with his own people and eventually to give his life. But so let's just remember uh, his challenge uh, in his original uh, the book that he's best known for, The Cost of Discipleship. Amen. When we pledge our lives to Christ, it will cost us everything. And if it doesn't, then it's not discipleship. Amen. Have a good day, dear brother, and all of our listeners. Thank you for listening.